0: congregation our scripture reading this afternoon you'll find it in the gospel according to mark mark's gospel and chapter 10 and we'll begin our reading at verse 17 of this chapter mark chapter 10 beginning at verse 17 and we'll read down to the end of verse 31 going to look at verses 17 to 22, Jesus' encounter with the rich young ruler. Now as he, that is Jesus, was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him, and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. And he answered and said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, One thing you lack. Go your way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross and follow me. But he was sad at his word and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard is it for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his words. Jesus answered again and said to them, "'Children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches "'to enter the kingdom of God. "'It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle "'than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God.' "'And they were greatly astonished, saying among themselves, "'Who then can be saved?' "'But Jesus looked at them and said, "'With men it is impossible, but not with God, "'for with God all things are possible.' Then Peter began to say to him, See, we have left all and followed you. So Jesus answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Amen. May God bless that reading of his word. Congregation, brothers and sisters, we're going to continue again this afternoon to look at another one of the personal encounters which the Lord Jesus had while he was here on earth And most of the personal encounters we have looked at so far, you will have noticed they have ended on a high note, a happy note, a glorious note, for as we've seen many of the people who Jesus met during the course of his earthly ministry, they were wonderfully healed by him and saved by him. Their lives were forever changed for the better by him. But as we'll see this afternoon, that was not always the case. We're going to look now at the tragic case of the man who is often referred to as the rich young ruler, a man who in the eyes of many appeared to have it all, He enjoyed position and power and possessions in life, all of the things that so many people crave and seek after. And yet we're told here in the record that Mark (coughs) gives us of this encounter that there was one thing that he still lacked. And there was one thing he needed more than anything else in life. And it was the one thing that Jesus would, was willing to give to him if he would but have it on Jesus' own terms. The gift of eternal life. The gift of the Lord Jesus himself. And yet this man went away from this encounter sorrowful. Because you see, he wasn't willing to accept Jesus on Jesus' own terms, even though it appears that he strongly desired to have this life. And you see, he made a tragic decision here then to go away from Jesus, choosing rather to hold on to his possessions rather than come into possession of eternal life by accepting Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And it's these two things I want to focus on with you then this afternoon. Firstly, this man's desire. And then secondly, his decision. But let us begin then by looking firstly at this man's desire. And it's clearly expressed expressed by him in this passage in Mark chapter 10. For as we read in verse 17, as Jesus was going out on the road, this man, he comes running to him. He kneels before him and he asks him, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And this man's desire was to be in possession of eternal life then. He was searching after it. And he wasn't cavalier about this matter either. It was obviously something he was greatly concerned about. For notice here how he he comes to Jesus. There's a real sense of urgency and intensity in his actions here. He comes running to Jesus. He, He kneels humbly before him. And we know from Matthew and his account of this same encounter in Matthew chapter 19 and verse 20, that this man, he was a young man. He was still in the prime of life, full of the vigor of youth. And you see, he wasn't simply coming to Jesus here then, thinking about this matter of eternal life and knowing that he's nearing the end of his life. And so he's, he's thinking to himself, well, well, maybe I better start to, to think seriously about this. No, he's, he's still a young man. And yet he obviously senses his urgent need of eternal life. And you see, it's a good thing when young people do have a, a sense of their need of eternal life. It's a good thing for a young person to show an interest in spiritual matters when they are still in their early years. It's why the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes in chapter 12 and verse 1 of that book, he exhorts young people, remember now your Creator in the days of your youth, before the difficult days come and the years draw near, when when you will say, I have no pleasure in them. And I say to all of the children and young people here then, make this matter of eternal life, of seeking after God. Make it your top priority in life. Don't put off this matter. Don't think that other things, they are more important and worthy of your attention. For as we'll see, this is a matter of life and of death. And don't forget that there is a longing in your heart and mind for eternal life. You may not think that that is the case. You may not identify it as such or even call it that. But you know you do have a longing deep down in your heart to know real joy and peace and happiness in life. You have a longing to experience satisfaction in life. We all do. We all want to have a a sense of real purpose and meaning and identity and worth in life. But you see, why is that the case? It's because as the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes also reminds us in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 11, God Himself has put eternity in our hearts. God has made each one of us with a heart that senses we need these things to be truly human, to to live an authentic, satisfying human life. You see, of course, we wrongly think that we will find these things in something other than God Himself, in our Creator. And so instead, we look to created things to to satisfy the longings and desires of our hearts. We look to this world, all that it contains and offers, in our quest to find real soul satisfaction and rest. And you see, we're deceived into thinking that we will find what we're searching for apart from God. Outside of an intimate relationship with Him in Jesus Christ. But friends, we need to understand that eternal life by definition, as Jesus Christ teaches in John chapter 7, 17 and verse 3, it is to know the one and only true God God and Jesus Christ whom He has sent. You see, the term eternal life in the Bible, it denotes a special kind of life. Speaking of spiritual life. Life that is imparted to us by God Himself, as we saw when we we looked at the teaching of Jesus to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. You see, eternal life then, it's the life of God Himself, and life with God then, And these desires and longings that we sense in our hearts, which are bound up with our need for eternal life, they can only be met by God then in relationship to Himself and Jesus Christ. Well, this young man, he comes to Jesus here, it seems with something of a sense of the urgency of this matter of his need for eternal life then. He's desiring to know how he may come into possession of it. And you see, that's a, that's a good thing. It's a natural thing to desire as created beings, as we've said. But of course, there's a problem here in this young man's approach to this matter of eternal life, as Jesus will go on to teach him. For notice how he frames the question which he puts to Jesus here. He asks him, good teacher, what shall I do? that I may inherit eternal life. And he addresses Jesus here as teacher. it would seem then he had evidently heard others talking about Jesus' teachings about eternal life and how to receive it. He'd heard about the power and the authority and the wisdom with which Jesus spoke about these matters. And so it seems he comes to him here then, keen to, to learn from him about them. And again, the wisest thing that anyone can do in life is to look to Jesus for answers to to life's crucial questions. You see, Jesus is the way to God, to a true knowledge and understanding of the meaning and purpose of life. And so this young man then, he's in the right place to receive the answers that he, he needs. But you see, he's come with the wrong mindset. He's come to Jesus with the assumption that for somebody to have eternal life, he must do something to inherit or obtain it. And you see, very likely, this young man who we know from Matthew and also from Mark here, he had great possessions. Luke tells us he was very rich. Very likely, he had gotten his wealth through success in business, perhaps by managing his finances wisely. Maybe he had invested his money in real estate or in other things. Accumulated a a great deal of wealth as a result. And you see, he was very likely accustomed to thinking then that the way that you get what you want in life is by performing certain tasks, by, by simply working hard for it. And of course, that's the same mindset many people have when it comes to the way in which they imagine we're to obtain favor with God, in which we are to receive eternal life. That's why so many false religions exist today, which all teach a system of works to merit favor with God. Because you see, they imagine that eternal life, it is something you earn, it's something you you work for. And Jesus then, who, who knows all that is in the heart of men, He looks into this young man's heart here and he sees that it's filled with this same kind of confused and misguided way of thinking. And you see, because he loved him, as it says here, because he wanted to help him get beyond that carnal mindset then, he proceeds here to answer his question with a question of his own. A question that is specifically designed to clear away the fog Bring him to a a proper understanding of God's way of granting eternal life. And so Jesus asked him then, in verse 18, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one. That is God. And then Jesus said to him, You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And of course, this young man, he responds to Jesus by saying to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. And what Jesus is doing here then, as we'll see as we continue to look at this encounter, he is bringing this young man, seeking to bring him to recognize that he himself is the way to God and eternal life. For he himself is God manifest in the flesh. And we don't obtain eternal life then by working for it. But by submitting to him by faith as our Lord and our Savior, our God. That's why Jesus begins here by asking him, why do you call me good? You see, the word good here, it means sinless. And Jesus was saying in effect then, why do you call me sinless? There is none sinless but one, that is God. Remember in Romans chapter 3 and verse 12, Paul writes there, there is no one who does good, no not one. And perhaps when we read that verse at first glance, we think, well, surely there are at least some people who have done some good in their life. And that is true relatively speaking, we might say in a civil sense. But you see, when our actions are weighed before God, our works, however good they may appear to us, and even others perhaps, they are sinful and imperfect at best. And when Paul is speaking there of none being good, none doing good, he's using the word good then in terms of sinless goodness. And so, Romans chapter 3 and verse 12 could read as follows, There is none that is sinless, no, not one. You see, what I believe Jesus was saying here to this rich young ruler then was that you cannot call me good. You cannot call me sinless unless you call me God. And if you call me God, then you can call me truly good. And you see, Jesus is challenging this young man then to, to face up to who he really is, to recognize that he, he's not merely a good teacher, but he is the spotless, sinless Son of God, the Lord of glory. And in so doing, he is preparing the way for Him, as we'll see, to recognize he ought to submit to Him as His God and His Lord in whatever He calls Him to. Because, you see, he must be prepared to bow himself out as his own God and Master. And he must be prepared to bow Jesus in as his true God and Master. he wants to inherit eternal life. Because, you see, he needed to see he hadn't really truly kept all of the commandments of God from his youth as he imagined himself to have done. You see, he wasn't without sin, which is the very transgression of the law of God. And therefore, Jesus wants this young man to understand how desperately he needs him as his Lord and his Savior. Because he is the only one who has ever lived a perfect, sinless life. Who has kept God's law perfectly. Indeed, he was sent into this world as the God-man-redeemer to do so on our behalf, so that we might receive the gift of eternal life from Him and Him alone. Because you see, He and He alone has earned the right to give it to all those who do now receive Him and embrace Him as their Lord and their God. And what this young man needed to realize then was this, that the way back to God... An eternal life. It can never be by way of the law of God, which is summarized for us in the Ten Commandments. You see, the law has not been given to that end, but rather it has been given, as Paul writes in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 24, to serve as a tutor, a teacher, to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified. By faith in Him. And God's purpose in giving His law then, it's not so that we would be under the illusion that this young man appears to have been under. You see, he seems to have clearly imagined that he he had what it took to keep God's law. He even thought that he had done so. Indeed, he seems to have imagined that whatever it took for him to, to do, that God may have required of him to internal life. He was capable of doing it. You see, what he needed to see was that God has given us His perfect law so that we would see our utter inability to keep it, And thus we would realize our own sinfulness, our own moral and spiritual bankruptcy before God, apart from Christ so that we would then turn to Christ in faith and repentance as our Lord and our God and receive the gift of eternal life from Him. And you see, Jesus is endeavoring to help this man come to this realization here then. Because what He needs is both a change of theology and a change of heart if He is to inherit eternal life. Which is why Jesus continues his dialogue with this young man in verse 21. By saying to him, one thing you lack. Go your way. Sell whatever you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And come take up your cross and follow me. And of course as we know from verse 22 these words of Jesus. They left this young man feeling sad and downcast in his heart. He went away from Jesus sorrowful because he had great possessions. And you see, he made the tragic decision here then to go away from Jesus, choosing rather, as we said at the beginning, to hold on to his possessions rather than come into possession of eternal life. By accepting Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And that brings us to consider, in the second place, then, this man's decision, it's a decision which confronts every one of us in the gospel. The decision we must each make as to what we will do with Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus doesn't tell this man to go and sell whatever he possessed and give to the poor. And he would have treasure in heaven. To come and take up his cross and follow him. To think that he could somehow earn a place in heaven. And inherit eternal life by doing so. Rather he is seeking to bring him. To the place of decision here. Where he wants him to realize. That eternal life and the enjoyment of real and lasting treasure in heaven. It is all bound up with the question of how we will respond to Jesus Himself, and whether or not we will have Him as our Lord and our Savior. You see, before ever a person can receive eternal life, they must first receive Jesus, the eternal Lord. And you see, Jesus is probing this young man's heart here. He's working to convict him that he hasn't really kept any of God's commandments in the way he thinks he has. In fact, he's going to press home to his heart the realization that in spirit, he's broken all ten of the commandments because he wants him to get this. He wants them to, to see his need of accepting Him as his Lord and Savior in order that he might have eternal life. Because you see, as this young Jewish ruler would have known, the first four commandments, as you know, they deal with our relationship with God. Well, the last six commandments, they they deal with a relationship to man. That's why the Ten Commandments can be boiled down and summed up in one sentence. To love the Lord our God with all of our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength, and our neighbor as ourselves. And so what Jesus is doing here in response to this young man then, is He's seeking to get him to see, firstly, that through his unwillingness to sell all that he had, and give his possessions to the poor if required by God to do so. He was only demonstrating he didn't really have the spirit he needed to love his neighbor as himself. And thus he couldn't, he hadn't kept the last six commandments in the way God requires. And then secondly, Jesus wants him to face up to the fact that his unwillingness to take up his cross and follow him, the one who is God incarnate, only demonstrated he didn't have the spirit he needed to love God with all of his heart, his mind, his soul, and strength. And thus he couldn't, he hadn't kept the first four commandments in the way that God requires either. And you see, all of this man's commandment keeping, it was merely outward and external then. But he had missed the inner essence of the requirement of the ten commandments. And in light of that then, What he needed to take to heart was the fact that in himself, he was not, he could not ever be good enough to be saved without a Savior. And what he needed then was forgiveness and salvation and life through Jesus Christ. In other words, what he needed was to embrace Jesus himself. Because you see, all of these things, they are only to be had in Jesus Christ. And if he wouldn't give up the God of his riches and material then to make room for receiving and following Jesus Christ as his Lord and his God, then he couldn't have eternal life either. Because eternal life, as Paul writes in Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, it is the gift of God in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And you see, this man had religion then. He had morality, yes. But what he needed was a right relationship with the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But you see, when push came to shove then, and he was being confronted by Jesus with the true nature of what it would mean for him personally, To accept Him as His Lord and Savior. He wasn't prepared to have Jesus. On Jesus' own terms. Because what Jesus wanted from Him. Was a heart that was open and surrendered to Him. As His Lord and His Master. Because you see Jesus doesn't come to us in the gospel. Offering salvation and eternal life to us. Apart from Himself apart from receiving Him as He is in Himself, as both Lord and Christ, as Lord and Savior. That's why, for example, in Acts chapter 16, when the Philippine jailer asked Paul and Silas, what must we do to be saved? The answer they gave was, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. That's why in John chapter 1, the great chapter in the Bible that tells us Jesus is God manifest in the flesh, that He is God the Son, that He is Lord of all, that same chapter tells us that it's as many as receive Him. To them He gives the right or the privilege to become the children of God. To those who believe in His name. And you see, receiving Jesus And believing in his name. They are one and the same thing then. According to John. And to truly believe in Jesus Christ then. Is to receive Jesus Christ himself. Not simply as a means to an end. That we may inherit eternal life. Rather it is to receive Jesus himself. As our Lord. Our master. Our God. Our savior. Our all. And that means then that anything that stands between us and Jesus as the unrivaled Lord of our lives, we must be prepared to give it up. Because you see, He must be preeminent in our lives. For as you've heard me say before in the words of Hudson Taylor, lest Jesus is Lord of all. He is not Lord at all. And you see, that was the problem with this rich young ruler here then. He wasn't prepared to crown Jesus as Lord of his life. He wasn't prepared to have eternal life on Jesus' own terms. Because his possessions were clearly his idol, his God. And they meant more to him then than Jesus Christ. And so when Jesus called on him then to, to give them up here in order to take up his cross and follow him, as his only rightful Lord and Master. He simply wasn't prepared to do it. And thus he could never have eternal life. Because you see, there is no life apart from Christ. And a willingness to bow the knee of our hearts to Him as our Lord and our Master are all. And this young man wanted to inherit eternal life, yes. But he needed to understand That an inheritance is something granted because of a relationship. It is something that is received only when you are in a certain relationship. And you see, he couldn't have eternal life then, apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ as both his Lord and his Savior. And Jesus brought this young ruler then, face to face with a life and death decision here then, just as He brings every man, every woman, every boy and every girl face to face with a life and death decision in the gospel. Because you see in the gospel, He asks each of us, what will we do with Him? What do we think of Him? Will we have Him as our Lord and our Master are all? And you see, when all is said and done, that is ultimately the question that will determine whether we will enjoy life, eternal life in heaven with God and Christ, or whether we will experience eternal death in hell with the devil and his angels. What do we think of Christ? That's why John Newton, in one of his lesser known hymns, entitled, What Think Ye of Christ? He says in the words of the opening verse of that hymn, What think ye of Christ is the test to try both your state and your scheme. You cannot be right in the rest unless you think rightly of Him. As Jesus appears in your view, as He is beloved or not, so God is disposed to you, and mercy or wrath are your lot. And then he goes on to say, Some style him the pearl of great price, and say he's the fountain of joys, yet feed upon folly and vice, and cleave to the world and its toys. Like Judas the Savior they kiss, and while they salute him betray, (laughs) Ah, what will professions like this avail in his terrible day? And then he concludes in the final verse of this hymn, If asked what of Jesus I think, although my best thoughts are but poor, I say He's my meat and my drink, my life and my strength and my store, my shepherd, my husband, my friend, my Savior from sin and from thrall, my hope from beginning to end, my portion, my Lord, and my all. Well, friends, can you and I truthfully say these same things? Perhaps trembling, yes. But can we say these same things? How about Jesus this afternoon? You see, this encounter which Jesus had with this rich young ruler, it presses these things upon us, calls us to search our own hearts with judgment day, honesty before God, and to ask ourselves, what do we truly think of Jesus Christ? You see, we cannot be neutral toward Him And we must either crown Him or crucify Him. We must receive Him or reject Him. Confess Him or deny Him. For we are either for Him or we are against Him. Friends, we may be all able to truly say with Newton that Jesus Christ is our all. That He is our undisputed Lord. That we have enthroned Him as King and Lord of our hearts and our lives and that we are willing out of love for Him to now take up our cross and follow Him. Amen. Let us pray. Our gracious and eternal God, we we thank You for Your Word that reveals who You truly are to us, reveals to us who Jesus Christ truly is, that He is, the eternal Lord of glory. And we do pray, Lord, that we would receive him into our hearts and lives as such, that we would see that you have made him both Lord and Christ, that his offices, his person cannot be divided. He is prophet, priest, and king. He is the one who comes to us in the gospel and makes himself available to us. And we do pray that we would see him then as he truly is, he calls us to embrace Him, to receive Him as our Prophet, our Priest, our King, to to rule over us, to defend us, to teach us, to make atonement for us. And so, Lord, we pray that we would love Christ in all of His offices. We do pray that we would be willing to have Him as our Lord, as our King, to to reign over us. And we do pray that our our hearts would be his that they would be given over to him we do pray that we would bow the knee of our hearts to him that we would be willing to give up anything that he would call us to give up in life that whatever sins or things in our lives he identifies it that are a hindrance to our crowning him as lord of all that we would willing be willing to be rid of them that we would see that we are to lay aside every weight the sin which does so easily ensnare us, and that we are to run the race set before us, looking unto Jesus, the perfecter, the author of our faith. And so, Lord, we pray that you would bless and apply this passage of Scripture to our hearts, help us all to to examine ourselves as to where we stand in relation to Jesus Christ, to be asking you to give us Judgment Day honesty as to what we truly think of Christ. Is he our Lord? Is he our all? And we do pray that all of us would be enabled to come away, in spite of all our sins, our shortcomings, that we would be able to say, yes, Lord, you know that I love you, in spite of all my imperfections and sins that I am aware of, yet I desire to love you and serve you and walk with you. And so give us grace to do so, we pray. Hear us now, we ask. Forgive her every sin. Receive us graciously. We pray it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.